You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixham Community Church. Last week, my dad finished a three-part series on repent, be baptised, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And one of the scriptures he referred to was in Luke chapter 11, which talks about um, how much the Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who asked him. And in my daily readings, that same chapter came up. And as I was reading it last week, um, I just noticed that it was the end, that, that, that line that says the Father will give the Holy Spirit is actually the end of 13 verses on prayer. And uh, I've been sort of wrestling with God, not in prayer. It's kind of a religious, spiritual good, fine-sounding thing to say, I've been wrestling with the Lord in prayer. No, God's been trying to wrestle me to the ground to get me to pray. I've kind of been wrestling with God over prayer because I'm not that good at it. I'm much better uh, opening my phone with the intention of opening the Bible app and seeing that I've had a notification from one of my favourite games which is a really cheesy, stupid game. And off I go, distraction after distraction. And it might not be an app for you that distracts you, but I'm sure that if you're like me and if we were real with each other enough, we'd say that there are times where it's easier to be distracted than it is to pray. So while God's been talking to me about that, I thought, well, one good way of helping me with this is to study prayer in the Bible and to implement some of my study into the um, Wednesday night meetings that we have. So we've had a couple of sessions on Wednesday nights where uh, I've titled the series Prayers of the Righteous, because we know that the prayers of a righteous person, according to James chapter 5, in the old version, availeth much but in the new version says, are powerful and effective. The prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. So on Wednesdays, I've been looking at some of the people that we would call righteous, those who God credited as righteousness, the the faith that they had, and looking at some of the prayers. So we've looked at some prayers that Abraham prayed. And uh, on Wednesday, I'll be looking at the prayer of Jabez, and uh, it was quite a popular prayer. It was kicking around in the 90s. I mean, it was, it's been going around a longer, longer than that. But someone wrote a book on it in the 90s, I think, uh, The Prayer of Jabez. Buried in uh, the book of Chronic, one of the book of, uh, books of Chronicles, um, where there's just lists and lists of names of so-and-so gave birth to so-and-so, and he was the father of so-and-so. And then up comes this guy called Jabez, and it says, and, and it, it says some, some stuff about Jabez, about his life. It just sort of stands out like a sore thumb in the middle of a whole list of names. And Jabez prayed an incredible prayer, and we can learn some stuff from it. So that's Wednesday night, just an extra plug for Wednesday Night Live on Wednesday. So all this is going on in my head, and then we get this... Uh, passage of scripture on Sunday last week about the Holy Spirit being given to those who ask and then it turns up in my readings and just something a few things as I reread Luke 11 just 1 to 13 just a few things sort of popped into my head and they just felt like God things and they felt like things that I was supposed to share with you this morning and I'm preaching next week as well I'm just going to take two weeks to look at 13 verses so we'll, we'll go get about halfway through I'll read it all now and then we'll read and um, reread and talk about the first couple of bits okay 
Um, so let's do that now. If you um, scroll down, if Dave, yeah, Luke's, Jesus' teaching on prayer in Luke 11. Uh, what I found, or what I've decided to um, think about as we look at this, is what, when I read this through, you should see these four sections. Section one is a fantastic framework. Nowadays, we call it the Lord's Prayer. And you'll see that in Luke, it's shorter than in Matthew. And there's some stuff to find out about that, but it's not that important today. I don't think the Holy Spirit wants me to go into the differences between Matthew and Luke, but there are differences. Um, uh, And the second section is about showing no shame. In prayer, showing no shame at all in prayer to God. The third section, which we'll look at next week, is titled in the NIV, Ask, Seek, Knock. But I'm calling it actively asking, because it's not just talking, there's seeking and there's knocking as well. And then the, the final section, which I couldn't think of alliteration for, you see there's alliteration in my other three sections, um, the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the bit about eggs and scorpions and, and things like that. So we'll read it through now. Thank you, Dave. Um, it, it's in about four slides following those four sections. Um, so just follow me. I've got a Bible in front of me. I've got a real Bible with me today and um, blown the dust off it, and I've got my, my games app, I mean my phone in the, in the pocket, uh, and the reason is, normally I just turn around and read the screen, but I just feel awkward not seeing your lovely faces, plus I can keep an eye on you while I'm reading. Um, anyway, this is from the, new, uh, the NLT, which is the New Living Translation, and that's because that's what version this Bible is. I didn't deliberately think of that. But actually, I thought to myself, when we're le- reading this popular prayer, which we all know if we're p- past a certain age, we all learnt this prayer in school, Our Father which art in heaven. We all learnt it in the King James Version. And then some of us have got used to it in the NIV. But it's quite refreshing just to read a different version. And uh, it kind of messes with your head a bit sometimes. So here we go. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying. As he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, this is how you should pray, Father. May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door's locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you, says Jesus, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence, or in the NIV, shameless audacity. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives everyone who seeks finds and everyone who knocks to everyone who knocks the door will be opened you fathers if your children ask for a fish do you give them a snake instead 
Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to keep good gifts to your children, give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's go back, Dave. You could press the up hour a few times. Just go back through those scriptures. And I'm not going to read the whole lot. I'm just going to talk about those first two sections. First of all, a fantastic framework. The Lord's Prayer is a fantastic framework. And as I said, in... in um, in Matthew's Gospel, we have a longer version, and some people think that that's because actually it was written earlier, or Jesus preached that earlier in his ministry, and this came later in his ministry, and it, it's almost as if the person I was reading who wrote about this, who wasn't inspired writing, it's almost as if they were saying, and, and, and Jesus got to that point and felt like, well, I've told him all that anyway, so we'll move on to some more teaching. You know, you know this. It says, once Jesus was in a certain place praying. A certain place praying. I think we need to start the teaching here. Jesus is an incredible example of prayer. Jesus prayed regularly. It says in other parts of the Gospels, frequently Jesus would go away and spend time in a secluded place, a quiet place. And I mentioned those of you who are introverts earlier. And there's this idea about Jesus feeding the crowds, preaching to huge crowds. But actually there's this kind of introverted side to the, to the personality of Jesus who wants to get away and be alone with the Father. I think it's an incredible challenge to us that the Son of God, God in flesh, still felt it necessary sometimes to spend a night in prayer. Before he, he, he went and appointed his 12 disciples, he'd spent the night praying. He prayed about decisions. There were big appointments, the 12 disciples, and they were, they were kind of off the wall as well, decisions. Some of the people he appointed, he'd spent the night praying. Once, verse 1 again, Jesus was in a certain place praying. Are you often to be found in a certain place? Praying. I've got a few certain places that I pray, and I think it's good to create that habit. Jesus had that habit. Why do you think you can manage without it? We have to pray. We have to draw near to God, and he will draw near to us. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So now we get a little insight. We see that John had disciples, John the Baptist that is, and John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus and he was there before Jesus, not in eternity. Jesus was there before the beginning. Um, John was beginning his ministry before Jesus and he was preparing the way. And John gathered disciples himself. It took me a while in the Christian walk to realise that it wasn't just Jesus who had disciples. John the Baptist had disciples. And, and there's another part where um, people are challenging Jesus. Why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples fast? And Jesus, well, it's, it's different circumstances. And, and so John had these disciples and they were fasting and they were praying. But on this occasion, Jesus didn't say, well, you don't need to do that. Um, John's, John's disciples needed to pray like they needed to fast, but you don't need to do that. In fact, very often when Jesus 
is asked a question, he does what all good rabbis do, and he responds with a question. Very rarely does he give a direct answer. It's infuriating at times if you read the Gospels through. Jesus, that's the sort of question I would have asked, and you didn't give them a direct answer. But on this occasion, he does. He doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't say, why do you ask about prayer? Uh, and who is it you are praying to? Or anything like that. And why do you want to be like John's disciples? Or, he could have asked questions, couldn't he? That's what Jesus did. That was the nature of his rabbinic style of teaching. But in this occasion, he gives a direct answer to a question. So I've got to think, this must be important. First of all, Jesus is praying in a certain place. And then his disciples see something about it. And they say, teach us to pray. And so I'm praying now, Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me to draw near to you. Teach me to draw near to the Father through Jesus. So this is what Jesus said. This is how you should pray. Direct answer. Father, let's pause there. The first thing we need to do in this fantastic framework called, by many, the Lord's Prayer, is we need to know who God is. We need to know who God is. I am so blessed to have had a fantastic father, and he still is a fantastic father on earth. But there are people who can't say the same, and it's difficult for them to think of God as father. In fact, for the first time, loads of you have seen that film or read the book, The Shack, well, I was subjected to it. I watched it, sorry. I watched it over half term uh, because it was on a DVD in the house we were staying in. And, uh, and in part of that story, God, the Father, appears to this man as a woman. And it's like, oh, come on, what's going on here? And she says to him, well, because he'd been abused as a child by his father... And, and, and God the Father, who comes in the form of a woman in this story, says, well, you couldn't handle it at this time. Uh, and, and later on, he does appear as God, as a father, and he's, he's messing with his head. Some of you love the shack, but I just um, sat there and, and thought, right, okay, I'll, I'll just go and read my Bible. Okay, so anyway, it's fine. If, it's nothing against if you enjoyed the shack. But anyway, for some people, we can't get hold of the idea of God as father. It's an, an intimate and personal thing. The word father is quite formal, but Paul tells us in Romans that it's by the Spirit, and we're going to learn by next week about how we can ask the Holy Spirit to help us to pray. It's by the Spirit that allows us to cry out, Abba, Father. Abba means Daddy, Dada, Father. We can talk to God on a personal, close, intimate way. We need to start our prayers by knowing who God is, and we need to understand him as the perfect dad we never had. Everything I would say that is good about my dad does not add up to a perfect dad, because none of us can have a perfect dad. My kids will agree. But God is the perfect dad you never had. When we pray, that's who we are talking to. We have access to the Father by the blood of Jesus who wiped away our sins if we accepted that truth and we can talk, we can boldly enter the throne room of grace and talk to the Father. Start by knowing who God is and knowing who you are in respect of that. The second thing is hallowed be your name or in this version may your name be kept holy 
hallowed, sacred, special, set apart, different, holy other, holy with a W, holy other, totally other. He is holy. And in one sentence, in fact, in one clause, or whatever you call that part of a sentence, you've got a wild contradiction. Because I've just said, well, we're talking about him as father and daddy and, and all that sort of thing. And now we say, may your name be kept holy, revered, honoured. We are in awe of you. And what an incredible spectrum we have from the Father God who's like a daddy to us to this awesome creator of the universe who is the father of all creation, all in one sentence. It's incredible. Know who you're talking to. Know that he treats you like his beloved child, his special child that he just wants to pick up in his arms and carry and love and dote on and spoil and also know that that same father who's doing that is a holy God. He is a holy father who created a universe that we live in. May your name be holy. And we can pray that in the pre-service. We're praying, I think it was Ivor praying, God, just move in our country. Let your name be revered again in this, in this land. We can pray that. You're our dad, but dad, please do something. You're holy. Let other people see how holy, how awesome you are. What a fantastic framework for prayer this is. Dad, let your name be kept holy. So first of all, I'm calling the father part of the prayer, know who you're talking to. And I'm calling, may your name be kept holy. Let's call that, um, show him some respect as well, yeah? Let's, let, let's respect who he is. I kind of wanted there to be two points in there. And the third point I wanted to bring out of this fantastic framework for prayer is may your kingdom come soon. I call that realign your priorities. Before you talk about your own needs, we're asking about his kingdom first. Jesus said it best when he said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things that you're worrying about will be added to you. You'll get them, but just put the kingdom first. It's about crucifying the flesh, the self, and saying, God, your kingdom first. Everything I have for your kingdom's cause, like it says in one of those songs. Um, I can't even remember the song, but it just came to me um, in my head anyway. Every, everything I have for your kingdom's cause. Um, break my heart with, break, with what breaks yours. Everything I have for your kingdom's cause. Let your kingdom come. Put that first. Realign your priorities. We're praying to the Father, number one. We know who we're praying to. Number two, we're praying with respect to who he is. And number three, we're realigning our priorities. We're putting his kingdom first. It's a difficult thing. But it's, it, it's our reasonable act of worship is to lay our lives on the altar and to say, God, your kingdom first. Your kingdom first. And that means when we're making decisions we're making decisions about when we get married. We're making decisions about where we live and, and the kind of house we buy, the town we move to, the job we take. It's his kingdom first, not yours, not your little empire of a world that's just a speck of dust in the light of eternity that you think so important at the time. It's his kingdom. Every move I have made since I've been a teenager has been, God, what do you want me to do? with my life 
I, I left A-levels and I, I did two years in an accounts department because I, I, did, I knew God was calling to me, me to ministry, but I, I wasn't ready for Bible college. I knew it in my heart and I did two years. And in that two years, they're starting to train me and put me through exams and they're saying, John, why don't you, why don't you join our pension scheme? And I'm saying, actually, I'm leaving. I, I, I've done my time here. I've got a purpose. I've got a plan. I've been praying about it. Tell them I've been praying about it. But I had been praying about it. And I had a nudge from my father saying, you were going to go to Bible college, weren't you? And, and these things all piled up in my mind, and I, I knew, and I'm praying, God, where do you want me to be? And the, the people at work are saying, John, if you do these exams, you could be on big money. You're on a really good scheme here. You're on day release to do these exams. Every year, your, your pay will go up, every layer of exams you do, and you'll be, you'll be very, very well off. And I'm like, I've got to go. I went to Bible college, I'm praying, even then I'm saying, Lord, your kingdom come. Father, you're the Holy One. You're my dad, you've looked after me, you've carried me this far. Father, but I want your name to be holy You are in my life, so your kingdom come. So I'm praying through Bible college, what do you want me to do? I meet this wonderful woman. Lord, do I marry this woman? Is this person what you want me to do, to, to be married to? What? Who you want me to be married to? I'm just giving you an example of all through my life. It's the way to go. There are other decisions I could have made, but I made decisions in line with what I believed at the time were his plan for my life because it's his kingdom first. And if I didn't carry on living like that, I'd still be teaching in Blackburn trying to get up the ladder and become a head teacher. I had some wonderful experiences in leadership in schools. I had some great feedback Really enjoyed the job. I didn't leave teaching because it was getting too stressful and too hard, although it was getting stressful and difficult. I enjoyed my job, but God said, no, I want you in Brixham. I want you to lead a church. He kept me awake at night, and, he's, and I'm thinking, why am I lying awake? I sleep really well normally. Why am I lying in bed, tossing and turning, just visualizing what it would be like to, to be part of the leadership team of a local church? And here I am today because I have constantly prayed, May your kingdom come soon. And that's just in my life. See what a fantastic framework for prayer is and how we do it a disservice by trotting it off without even thinking about it because we've memorised it in the old English. And so I could go on about how I would then pray, may your kingdom come not just in my life, in today, and what you want me to do today, but in this town. God, let your kingdom come for the Baptists and the Baptist church and the incredible work they do through the, the, the ministry they do through the front room cafe that they have. Lord, let your kingdom come through the, the, the town council and through the Christians in the, church, in the town council that we know about, about Jackie Stockman. Lord, let your kingdom come in this town. Let your kingdom come in this land, let your kingdom priorities be for real in this yeah. land. We could pray, we could go on. We realign our priorities. Number one, we know who God is, he's our father. Number two, we show him some respect. Number three, we realign our priorities before we even think about ourselves. We say, Jesus, you gave everything for me, so I, the least I can do is give you my feeble life in comparison with your great greatness. And then we're allowed to ask for some stuff. And by the time you've got there, your priorities are realigned and the things you ask for might be a little bit different. And that's why if you ask for anything you want, you'll get it because by now, the things you want are what he wants. You've realigned. 
If you just jump straight to ask for anything you need and you'll get it, well, I'd have a Ferrari on the drive. Hey? If I had a drive. I'd have a drive! <laughs> yeah, I'd have a driveway and an outdoor swimming pool and I'll stop dreaming. It's all waiting for me on the other side. So we realign our priorities and then we get to ask for stuff. Give us each day the food we need and then we deal with sin. This whole next line or two is, for me, it's just dealing with sin. Interesting that we didn't do that at the beginning. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and don't let us yield to temptation. The same word is used for testing and some writers believe that he's actually teaching us to pray that we won't be tested beyond what we can bear. Don't lead us into time of testing. And even others have seen how um, all these lines can be found somewhere in the Old Testament. Um, and so Jesus is pulling ideas from the Old Testament and, and drawing down them and collecting them together. And where it says don't lead us into temptation, um, some have seen that, that the idea of don't lead us into time of testing as, as, as um, referring to Old Testament ideas of the day of judgment or, or God, where, where God um, brings ju judgment on the world. Don't let us be in, in that number. So there's different meanings in there, but, but the overall thing is um, we're dealing with sin, in, incoming and outgoing, people who sin against us and our own sin, and we're asking God's protection. We're asking his protection from, from temptation, if that's how you want to read it, or from testing. We're asking that God actually wouldn't let us yield to temptation in this version because people don't like the idea of God leading us but the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted. So God does sometimes lead us into temptation. But we're allowed to pray that he doesn't. That's kind of real, isn't it? So we could read Matthew's and we, Matthew's version, which is a bit longer, or we could, um, we, could, we, we could unpack this a bit more. But I just wanted to encourage you, if you're stuck for prayer, find the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11, because it's shorter, means you're you know, less overwhelmed. And just start thinking about what each of those lines might mean. So Jesus was asked, Lord, teach us to pray. And he says, when you pray, pray this. But he doesn't stop there. That's what I found interesting. That's the first thing that triggered me this week when I read this chapter again, is that Jesus carried on the teaching. It didn't stop with this prayer formula that we're familiar with. He carried on. And some of the things he says are very interesting. So today, I'm just going to look at the next thing and we'll stop. And um, I'm calling this section Showing No Shame. Showing No Shame. Then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom... Don't bother me, the door is locked for the night and my family are all in bed. I can't help you. Suppose you are on your knees to Jesus, your friend. It says here, suppose you have a friend uh, and you went to a friend's house at midnight. Well, suppose you are on your knees to Jesus in the midnight hour, crying out to him for a need that you didn't expect. In this story, you have a situation where someone has turned up unexpectedly 
and there's this awkward thing of you haven't got food, and in Jewish culture as well as many cultures, that's kind of like one of the worst things to happen. So you, you, in desperation, you go to another friend's house and you ask for food. So in this situation, it's like there's this unexpected need that is that has arisen in your life, and we all have those, don't we? We all have those. Some of us have probably had them this week. An unexpected need, an unbudgeted cost has arisen in your life, perhaps, or uh, some other situation has happened, maybe a health need or some relationship fallout has happened, and you find yourself on your knees to Jesus in the midnight hour saying, God, help me. What a strange thing Jesus does with this story because he says, and the person who I'm saying is like Jesus says, don't bother me, I've locked the door, but doesn't it feel like that sometimes? Doesn't it sometimes just feel like God's not listening? He's gone to bed. He's locked the door. You're on the outside. You want to be one of his children on the inside. And you, you just feel totally isolated and cut off from God. You're not. You're not. Remember, it, this, this just comes after. He's just taught you to pray, Father, Father. There is a reason why the Lord is delaying. In fact, it's not a delay because he has a far bigger picture. But anyway, this guy says, don't bother me. The other thing I, I, I felt about this section where the, 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 the guy who's being asked for food says, don't bother me. And you think, well, why would, why would Jesus say God was like that? When you go to the end of this passage, it reminds us that sometimes Jesus uses this formula of how much more would God? It's like, if you've got a friend who's not God, how much more would God, who's perfect? You know, like with the, um, even with the persistent wid widow, um, it's the same sort of idea. You've got this judge who isn't helping the widow, and Jesus says, but how much more would God help? And so it's kind of bringing this comparison. You, you, you would automatically go to a friend, so you should automatically go to God. But friends have flaws. But God, who is perfect, will always give you what you need. But, but why does the friend give food here? It says, he says in verse 8, I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need. And I would say, how much more then your loving Heavenly Father is going to give you? If, if, if your friend's going to do it, just because he has, feels like he has to, how much more will a God who loves you definitely give you what you need? But in this case, because of your shameless persistence. Another thought I had was that this guy, he's, 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 not, he's not giving you food because you're a friend. Well, Jesus is our friend, isn't he? And that can't work. And I, I just had this, this thought, and it might not be what was meant in the text, but it, it's certainly true, that when God gives you something, it's not because you've been such a great friend to him. He's not giving you food for your friendship's sake. Oh, well, yeah, since you've been a good mate, I'll give you, I'll give you something. Because you'd never deserve it. You'd never be good enough. He's not going to give you out of friendship's sake in the sense of you've been such a great friend because you've, you've said, all, said all these prayers and you've, you've witnessed and you've tithed and, and you've done all these good things. So therefore, 
I'll give you the miracle. He's not doing it because you've, been, you've earned a friendship with him. He's paid the price already. He's not doing it for that reason. He's paid the price. He's paid the price, not for friendship's sake, not just because you've been such a great friend and earned it yourself. But he does like this phrase, this shameless persistence, or this shameless audacity. And I just felt it was right to say to you, don't be afraid to be a little bit shameless before God. You, you might not do it in the congregation setting, but between you and God, just be a little bit cheeky. Just be a little bit cheeky. Have you ever been told you're cheeky before? Carol has. I just thought I'd pick on you again. <laughs> Who's been told they're a bit cheeky in the past? Ask me for something and it's a bit cheeky. I don't think, well, they're not my child anymore. I decide, less now, they're older, but I decide whether they get the thing or not. Well, don't decide for God. Let him decide. Ask him for the thing. And you know what? Sometimes it'll just get it off your chest and you think, yeah, I don't want that, that much anyway. And as you start to realign your priorities, you'll start asking for the right things. And you might start being a little bit cheeky for the kingdom's cause. God, I want that building. God, I want that pay rise so I can give to this charity or to this church. God, I, I, I pray that you'll bless me. And we, on, on Wednesday, it'll be, it's the prayer of Jabez that says, bless me indeed. That's cheeky. That's shameless audacity. And I just think it's okay. It's okay to ask. You might not do it in public, but between you and God, just ask. And let him, just let him guide you by the Holy Spirit and say, well, do you know what? I'd love to do that, but you just go and ruin yourself with it. They will say, do you know what? I've been waiting for you to ask because I know your heart is pure and I know you're going to use that thing that you're asking for for my glory. So I just wanted to leave with a challenge of pray the fantastic framework, but let's just get a little bit cheeky. So let's just close our eyes now. We're about to finish. I just wanted to give you an opportunity in silence with your eyes closed What's the thing that if you could ask God for anything, and I know, it, it just please forgive me if this all sounds a little bit genie and a lamp and magic wishes and things. I don't intend any of that at all. But I do sense there are people who just wouldn't ask for that thing because it just feels a little bit cheeky. And it's God, and God is in heaven, and I am on earth, so my words will be few. And that's all good and right and true. We've said it today. His name is holy. Nevertheless, his teaching here is about shameless audacity. What is it that just feels a little bit too cheeky to ask for? And just be brave, and in the quietness of your heart, just bring that to the Lord now. And you know, in that moment, he might just... You might just have that sense that, you know what, I was wrong to ask and it wasn't, it wasn't even something I should have said. But at least you've broken the seal on the scroll of it, if you like. You've, you've kind of lifted the lid on it. But for some people, when we start praying like that, it escalates into dreams that God actually adds fuel to it and says, you think that's cheeky, you should see what I want to do in your life. This is scratching the surface. Yes, 
I'm glad you asked. Keep asking. Because next week we're going to learn about asking, seeking, as we ask, and knocking practical steps. But we've got to start by getting a little bit cheeky and saying, God, this is honestly what I want. This is honestly what I'm believing for. This is what I'm asking for. So I'm just giving you a moment to bring that before God now. And let him speak to you about it. Ask the Holy Spirit to either say, do you know what, I think this is not for you for now. Or ever. Also, let the Holy Spirit add fuel to it. I just believe in this moment, you could be, someone in here could be bringing an idea to God that just seems a bit too much, I, I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't ask for that. And God just wants to add fuel to it. He wants to explode your expectations. Honestly, I believe that for at least one person in here. He wants to explode your expectations. But you won't see any of it until you start asking. I also had a picture in the pre-service prayer meeting of the father preparing a family meal for a vast family because it's God. But I was thinking of this church this morning. And instead of seeing chairs that are in front of me today with people in them, I saw place settings at a wedding. And if you've been to a wedding recently and you've seen how some weddings have wedding favours, I just saw a personalised present on every place setting. It had your name card, your name, your name. I'm talking about this morning. I'm not talking about some lovely idea in the future. I'm talking about this morning, in here, in this moment. It was like you were sitting at a wedding feast. Your name card was there. You know you're in the right place. It's your name. But there's also a wrapped gift. And that gift is different for everyone. Someone, the father, has just gone to so much trouble and thoughtfulness to, to prepare and wrap a gift for you that is yours. And if you swap with the person next to you, you'd have the wrong thing. It's yours. But you've got to pull the bow and open it and get in there. For some of you, it might actually be receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, but I didn't feel in my heart it was for everybody. I believe that there are people who the Father just wants to lavish gifts on. And they are bespoke. They are custom made. So as you start to pull that bow and unwrap that gift in your life, in your world, even in your prayer right now, Explode your expectations as to what God can do. Father, I just pray for a mighty outpouring of your Holy Spirit on this town, on this congregation, on all the congregations in Brixham. We pray for Brixham and beyond. And we pray that we wouldn't stand before you one day guilty of not daring to dream for, in, for, for more and not daring to ask audaciously. We pray you'll bless our time together as we have coffee and tea and biscuits and chat. And Lord, as we chat, I pray you'll help us just to encourage one another. 
Help us to think big for your kingdom. Not with an inflated, egotistical, fake faith, but just with solid, grounded, Bible-based faith that God is a God of the impossible. Help us to encourage one another now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit brixham.church.